everyone to another episode of Podium Stories. Today we have a very special guest in the building. His name is Sean Finelli. He's the CEO of The Tour Guy, a new brand that has evolved from the suit of brands, including The Roman Guy and The Paris Guy. Uh, Finelli left a Wall Street career behind in 2018, I believe, to move to Italy and eventually created a travel tech company that helps travelers see the best of Italy and Paris without the crowds. I know you guys are offering now some um, COVID-19 products at virtual tours. We'll get into that. But first of all, Sean, thank you for being here, man. Yeah, no problem. Um, did you say we started in 2018? We started, we started I think, uh, 2008. 2008. Yeah, that's right. I, I cool. Bye, good. Yeah. So uh, I want to start on that transition, on that move from um, Wall Street going to Europe. Um, and how that decision came about, right? Uh, was there a point in time that you were like, I'm not doing this anymore. I have to get out. Or was it a gradual decision of like you considering for a, for a few months or years and finally moving to Europe? Well, you know, I have to uh, I, I just have to say that I, I am a diehard capitalist and I have no hate for Wall Street whatsoever. I am a big fan of Wall Street still. I uh, I like everything that represents. I'm not a you know you know I, I don't paint it evil. Although I, I I understand many people do and I understand why and I respect their opinions on that. So I. I'm still I'm still pro Wall Street. I'm active on Wall Street in terms of trading and things like that mm-hmm. uh, on my my personal funds. But I just wasn't just not what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I um at one point I I, I mean I probably didn't think about it this much. I probably just went my gut decision of like, do you want to get a serious job on Wall Street now that you're done with school, or do you want to go, you know, screw off in Europe for a couple of years and live in Europe? And I was like, you know what? I think the uh, the Europe. Europe decisions a lot more fun. I think that was just where I was going through my head. But I think I think if I were to boil it down a little bit more, it more would have been, you know, in what way am I going to collect more personal memories by working on Wall Street, you know, five days a week, twelve hours a day, or by working in Rome? And I I, I worked seven days a week actually, more like fourteen hours a day most days. And, uh, and, you know, my answer in my head was Rome. I just moved to Rome. I made way less money, but I, I really, really enjoyed all of my time there. Right. Uh, and do you think Wall Street was like a necessary stepping stone that you just had to go through but, but didn't add a lot to your life? Or was there lessons that helped you later on while you were in Rome and then later as, as the CEO of, uh, of the company? You know, it's a good question. And I, 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 there's a lot of people that are successful without Wall Street. So I don't know. Everyone always, I always looked at myself when I worked, you know, in, I, I didn't actually work in New York City on Wall Street. Obviously, I worked at, at a bank in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, Smith Barney and a few others. But I, so, you know, it's quote unquote Wall Street. It's working with the, uh, you know, yeah. in, in the stock market with, with equities. But, you know, I, I, I didn't really, think it was that significant but everyone even after you know i went to rome always just referred me as the the finance guy you know what i mean even in all my odd weird jobs panhandling everyone looked at it that way and i guess it just kind of like you know even though i didn't really have a very important job at the time you know i was just like finishing university so it was like you know entry-level jobs and things like that Mm -hmm. i uh it really gave me an outlook on how companies run how companies like at least public companies become successful and how they fail. Like, you know, when, when a stock crashes or when, you know, a company's bonds start to fail and things like that, you, you understand why when you work and sell them. So it really gave me an idea of like, you know, 
well, this company is successful. And then I would research why, and these companies are failing and I'd research why. And it gave me an idea of kind of like how companies become successful and how companies become failures. It also made me incredibly um, focused on the numbers and, you know, the figures, you know, you know, all types of things like that. So instead of just being like, I'm, I'm obviously a product, a product and marketing a focused CEO, but I, I can never stop looking at the numbers and making sure that we are running a healthy business and everything is going, you know, tomorrow is going to be better than today. Right. Makes sense. Uh, and, and I think you, it taught me more how to be a CEO than that to actually, it taught me more to be a CEO rather than how to start a business. If that makes sense. Right. 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 And that financial side of the business, I run a small company. We're about five people. Uh, and that financial side That's of cool. the business is already important. And we've seen, yeah. we've seen a challenge, but it's not something that comes naturally. So I can totally get how getting that experience early on helped you later as the CEO. You said it doesn't become, it come naturally to you? It, it doesn't, it does not that much. No, it's been something that like, it's been kind of like put behind for me, right? Like I'm more like, I mm -hmm. started as a writer, then marketer, uh, then business owner. Uh, so the financial side of things, it's something that I've had had to learn and invest into my education, but not something that I came with as part of my package. How have you how have you learned how to how to how to handle it? That's a great question. So um, one of our earliest clients is um, an agency owner who we've been working for a few years now, and he was very much financial oriented. So he was very good on the finance side of things, and he. As my client, we eventually became friends. He became my mentor as well. And he's been able to help me out a lot in terms of like how to run a financially sound business. Right? And what are the things that I have to keep track of, KPI, financial metrics, all that. So really from somebody who runs similar business model than I do, who has been through that a lot, he saw, the, he saw his own agency, is what helped me understand. Because there's not a lot of material for CEOs to learn the financial side of things. At least I, I didn't find it. So the best way I learned was by, by seeing somebody and having, having that person help me. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, you know, for anyone else out there that's looking to run a business and, you know, and doing things like that, you know, everyone always wonders, like, and I've, I've searched it, you know, back in the day so many times, like, what's the role of the CEO? And just so everyone knows, you know, understanding the financial side isn't fantastic, but no matter what, whether, whether how good at accounting or not you are, as long as the, the job of the CEO is to make sure that, there's growth and revenue right so as long as you're doing that you're doing a great job yeah that's what i was focused in the beginning but th there's a lot of like the financial things and accounting that especially at our young stage as a company we've been running for two and a half years like we didn't have it, uh, the financials to like hire a finance person full-time right so a lot of the things i had to handle myself and that was tough in the beginning yeah like i kind of got a handle of it yeah, it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, we, we, uh, there's, you know, a long time where we didn't have the money to do that. And, you know, now we don't really have the money anymore to do that. You know, right. eventually we will again. And that's how it works. You know, you just kind of got to keep focusing on generating more revenue and, you know, hopefully your, your financial books are, are sound and whatever government you're filing them in is happy with them. And as long as you can do that, you're pretty good. Yeah. That, that's what I was thinking. If, if we make more money than we spend, we'll, we'll be fine. The, the rest will will figure it out later on. But for now, that is definitely the uh, that's definitely the mark of a of a successful business.
Yeah. So, so tell me about the early days in, in Italy, right? Because um, how old are you when you go there? Uh, I think I was like 24 when I first moved there. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 36 now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, I, well, I was there actually before that. I would go. I would summer in Italy, so I would. I would take mm-hmm. off work, and I kind of always had the, you know, I'm going to do things my way mentality, even if it meant I was getting fired. But somehow, I always got hired back at all the jobs that I kind of took sabbaticals from. So I would summer there and, and go and work right. for like 60 or 90 or 120 days, however long I could drag out my summer, you know, by starting classes late and such. And uh, and that's kind of like when I was just really working like 14 or 16 hours a day. Right, right, right. Yeah, the question I wanted to ask you was, how did your ego play a role in this, right? Because like we're so accustomed to like, especially if you're coming from like working in banking on Wall Street, and now you're like doing tours. Did your ego took a hit, or did you understand from the beginning that there was something that you enjoyed doing, and like the you know, circumstances did not affect you? That's a great question. I mean, and as you know, uh, Europe is a little different than the states. You know, yourself being a European. So in the States, there's a huge focus on like, you know, your image and the clothes you wear and things like that. You know, so when I was, when I was working in the States, I had to have like, you know, I didn't have a, like the nicest car, but I had to have a new car and, you know, had to wear Lacoste polos to work or else, you know, people looked at me funny, right. you know, that kind of stuff. Even when I was in college, you know, just like if you dress coming in, like, I, you know, it was kind of a, you know, that's how it worked. But when I, when I got to Europe, it really didn't, it didn't bother me. I mean, I was just really happy. To be living in Italy. I mean, my my family, you know, generations ago from Italy. I had an Italian passport. I didn't speak the language well, and I was just happy to get there and have a chance to to live there. And I remember, like, even after like these days of of panhandling and then doing tours at night, I would like go home on a bus surrounded by stinky, you know, smelly people that have been working all day too. I I probably smelled as well. I was out there for 12, 14 hours, and I was just so happy just to be, have the opportunity to be there. So I, I, you know, I didn't really have an ego in the early days. Um, I I probably have an ego in in other ways, but in terms of like, you know, I was just really proud to be there. And I think my ego is just so proud of that. And I was proud to have a a passport, you know, two passports and that kind of stuff. So I think my ego is sustained there. Um, You know, and, and, and I think it was really good. I mean, I didn't, I panhandling was tough. You know, you'd get Americans just like you that come from good families Mm-hmm. putting their hand in your face and telling you to, to F off or whatever it is. That was pretty tough, but I would just call, I would, I would just call my mom, you know, or my grandmom every day or every couple of days and they'd tell me how awesome I am. And that would kind of, you know, work you go back into place. <laughs> yeah. That, that call from grandma that you're amazing is, is always a good self-esteem boost. Yeah. Yeah. After awesome. a couple of rejections, give her a bell and she tells me I'm awesome and I get back to the street, you know, I just had, yeah. I had to make money, you know, I, I you know, I wasn't, I was never really starving. There was a, a point in time where I, I I got scammed and I didn't have any money and I had to like spend a couple of nights in the street but I wasn't like you know there's, there's a lot of people worse off than me in that in that thing. so I, but I just wanted to make I wanted to make a lot of money that's what I wanted to do I just wanted to make as much well not a lot of money I just wanted to make as much money as I could so right. I just keep I was motivated and driven by the idea of doing that and not for what the money could buy you but just I just I think that, you know, um, Haim Saban said that money is a marker for success. So it's not about the money, but it's a good way to, to see how successful cool. you are. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the difference in ego between Europe and, and the United States. I also have uh, American passport and Spanish passport, and you can definitely tell that there's, the culture is different. And if yeah. you have been back and forth between Europe and the United States, you can you can see how ego is perceived differently in both countries. Neither of them right or wrong, just different. Definitely. 
Yeah, it's just different. I mean, there's lot, that's just one thing, though. There's lots of obviously positive attributes about the United States that I love and cherish. You know what I mean? And there's lots of positive attributes about Europe that I love and cherish. Everywhere has its yin and yang. Yeah. It's not that America, I'm saying America is a bad place, but it's just a little more, uh, it can be slightly more, um, you know, a little more uh, focused on uh, what you have, you know, and, and your status and things. But at the same time, it's like, maybe that's what drives the economy to be so robust, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I've, for me, it's been like, I've always felt 50% American, 50% Spanish. And then there's certain things. Good way to feel one side to the other because I was born in the States and but I was raised here until I was 17 then I moved to America to play college basketball it's been back and forth a lot uh, but I, I want to ask at what point do you transition into like actually building a company or thinking think of it as like you're building a company versus doing tours and all that like is there a point that you're thinking I'm gonna build something bigger than, than myself here or was it right from the beginning yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I, I had, when I moved to Italy, I told my dad I was moved there for a year. In my head, I was probably moved there for a couple of years. And I didn't really, I just wanted to have enough, like, gig work, you know? I, I wanted to get enough private clients that would have me take them around and I could make, like, 500 bucks a day or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just trying to make it so I had enough money to kind of live a cool lifestyle. You know, I, I wasn't really trying to save money, but I wanted to be able to, like, rent a sailboat for a couple of weeks in the, in the summertime and then come back with no money and start over again. You know, that's like really what my goal was. And then around 2011, I met my business partner and he was like, he's like five years older than me and he was getting married at the time. And he was like, really, all my friends were really cool, but you know, a little less reliable. Not, no, they're, they're reliable, but they weren't as stable. Like he was married. I didn't know, I don't know anyone else. I still don't have any friends. Well, I have a couple of friends, but very few friends in Europe that actually got married. He was like trying to go to life and I wanted to do that too. And, and he just kind of was like really motivated on making, building something, you know, he wanted to build something. He wasn't sure what he wanted to build. And he liked, he really like kind of attached to me and, and, and kept talking about this. He didn't say like, Hey, let's start a company together, but he was just kind of like, you know, you're a finance guy. What should we do? Let's invest in the stock market. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I was like, all right, cool. And no one ever asked me that before. I had this, I had a, I had like a brand name called the Roman guy. And I mostly just got made fun of for that. Cause they were like, Oh, the Roman guy, you know? <laughs> uh, and this guy was the first guy to ever not make fun of me about it. And he was like, what do you want to do to make money? I want to make money. And I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's found a company. So we just decided one day on February 8th in 2012, to like form an LLC or an, or an S corporation at the time. And, uh, and we said, okay, we're going to make a company. And we started, you know, looking for ways to take payments with credit card. And, you know, we, we started working on the union economics and how we were going to, you know, monetize and, and, and create, generate revenue. And it was, it was, it was, it was honestly a slow build, you know, right. but it, the, luckily for us, luckily for us, we both agreed right in the very beginning. We're like, we need to sell our tours online. It wasn't about selling on the street anymore because we both panhandled it. It sucks. If anyone's ever panhandled, you know, panhandling sucks. It's the worst job of all time. You're probably like one of the lowest, you know, you, when you're doing it, you feel like one of the lowest forms of life on earth. You know, you're lit. And I can only say that because I did it for almost a decade, right. you know, and you're like, no one, no one ever, like you love the fact that you can work in front of the Coliseum, but you hate the fact that you have to panhandle to survive and you'll do it. And people do, and it's honorable to support the kids. But it's like, it sucks when you panhandle. And I was like, I don't want to panhandle. I don't want to sell tours in the streets. I want to completely remove myself from any street presence. Let's sell tours online. And it was just like, 
at the time, it just made sense. But now when you look back, it really was one of the key moments in e-commerce 2012. I mean, it was like, we were going to sell this stuff online and not many people were doing it. Right. You know, there were a few other companies that were selling tours online. A lot of these big companies, like, you know, the, 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 the wholesalers of tours, they started in like 2010, 2011, 2012. You know, so we, we, we did it too. And we just slowly built up. And it honestly just, it was just a, a snowball. It, it got like at, by, by 2014 is when things started to pick up. And by 2016, we were big. And by 2018, we were huge. You know, I'm mean, not huge, but we were large enough to be, uh, be a real company. Right. You know, and I just went from there. Yeah. So uh, what has been like from a CEO standpoint and from a leadership standpoint, what has been a challenge as you guys start to grow? Because your, your role and responsibilities change from like panhandling in front of the in front of the Coliseum to actually having to run a business with employees and marketing and all that. Yeah. Um, so it, the business requires a completely different thing from you. And what is one of the well, things that uh, you were like, oh, this is tough and, and you had to work on to improve on as a leader, as a CEO? As, as yeah, that's yeah, a good question. That's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm no Mark Zuckerberg. I didn't get into Harvard or anything like that. So, you know, when I first started, I was an, an animal of terror, you know, so you hire employees and you want everything right away, but you also want to bother them and interrupt them and do all this kind of stuff. So I think the biggest challenge from transitioning from like panhandling on the street to running a company was just literally with leadership. I was definitely a very, I was, I could, I could give good speech, right. you know, but I was a bad leader. I was a bad leader, a bad manager. And, uh, you know, I, I made things work. I made it happen, but we had a really high turnover employees in the very beginning, just because I was like, my expectations were completely wild. The amount of money we were paying was so low. And I just wanted everything for the minimal amount of money I could possibly offer. And it wasn't like I was making any money. I wasn't. We, I was making no money for the first, like, three, four years. Literally nothing. But uh, I just was a bad manager. And it, it, at one point, I kind of, like, you know, I was just so angry all the time because my expectations were so wild and unrealistic that I started reading all these, like, you know, management books. And then I realized I was the person they were talking about when they gave the negative examples. And I think that was my biggest challenge. Yeah. It was a good, it was a big, uh, it was a big real, moment of realization. I was like, Oh, they're, they're talking about me. There's one book I read where it was like, here's like 20 negative attributes. Some people have like three, I have like 18. And I was like, Oh man, you know, he's like, if you're really bad, you have like three or four. I had like almost all of them. I was just like, Oh, this is not good. Dude, uh, so I, that, that was like, the, the funny, sorry. sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, that was the, that was the hardest part was becoming a, a you know, I had a, a vision of a product and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to sell it. And, you know, we had, you know, uh, channels of, of customer acquisition, all this kind of stuff. I could set up my marketing was on point. My website was on point, my e-commerce, UX, UI, everything. We had great stuff. I was just a very bad manager. And that, that was probably my biggest challenge was becoming a good manager. And I don't even think I'm a great manager today, um, but I definitely am better than I was before. Yeah, that, that, that's funny that you mentioned it. And, and maybe we were even talking about the same book. But yesterday I started this book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And, yeah, that's a good book. And, they all say the same things, literally. It's like the same yeah, that's good. In, in 100 different books. And on the first couple of pages, it says, like, there's two differences of managers, like, and they give an example of, of the bad one. And like you, I was like, dude, I feel like they're talking about me. And, and that's something yeah, that... Yeah. I've been thinking for the last year, year and a half of like, um, like as a leader, there's so much work that I have to do because I've probably been holding the company back a little bit. And, and hearing you speak about it, um, I, I relate it 100% to that. 
And it's tough. It's, it's not easy being a leader. It seems much easier when you're in college and they tell you there's four leadership styles and pick one, right? But yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is really how it, uh, how it works. I mean, they, they, I know you said, like, I, I think they're talking about me, but they're, they're definitely talking about us. In those books. and that's what it is and it's, it's like when, when entrepreneurs like they no one ever talks about an entrepreneur and it's like you know what that guy that entrepreneur he was completely sane not bipolar and uh and a great manager and they all suck you know what i mean every great like you know we shouldn't put ourselves in the same categories as you know the elon musk and the steve jobs but these guys are insane you know and it kind of like is like this like Good the bad. Now I don't, I don't i don't i don't i'm nowhere near either of those guys obviously uh not, not many people are but I think that when you, you, you start something and you try to do it and you're really motivated behind it, you, you just have, you can't have every quality. And, and when you start to move towards someone else, you know, like when you become a better manager, you kind of lose some of those other qualities. You can't really have them. But um, I think it all comes down to like, really what you have to understand is as you go through is the Plato quote. Uh, the only thing I know is I know nothing at all. Um, you know, I know that I know nothing. And it's, yeah. it's really important just to understand that. I always consciously say like, whatever I think I know now is going to change next year or the year after that and five years from now, I want to look back and probably be embarrassed about how I think and feel now, you know? And that's kind of what I, I, I constantly keep in my head to, to make it work is that like, Hey, listen, whatever you're really passionate about now in terms of like management, leadership, whatever, in five years, you're going to look back and be like, that was wrong. Absolutely. Uh, we it's have constantly evolved. Yeah. It's a process and it's a process and it requires constant improvement. Uh, we have four or five minutes. I have a couple of questions to wrap this up. Um, I yeah, read, I could probably I think, go a couple minutes over if you, if you need to. It's fine. Oh, perfect. So I, I read uh, on a past interview that you did uh, that they asked you, well, like, what's the definition of success or how can you be successful? And you talk about a, a bad component of it being luck, just random luck. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you, in what ways do you think you've been lucky and, and how has luck made an impact in your business? Because that's something that, as entrepreneurs, I think we all have a bit of an ego and try to like say that we've done it ourselves and with no help. But there's definitely a lack component into it. Um, so I, I want to hear yeah. about your lucky yeah. moments. I mean, there's there's been a lot of them. I mean, I don't know if I if I didn't move to Italy, would I have um, you know started a company, or if I would have gotten a job for someone else, or what I would have done. I, I'm pretty much unhirable. I've been fired from every job <laughs> I've ever had, so I probably would have had to start a business. But I mean, even just like the reason I started my business, I just randomly met, you know, someone in Rome that said like, hey, do you want to, like, while well, I was backpacking my brother and that person was like, hey, do you want to just stay here and work? And uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds like an awesome thing to do. And I didn't say that summer. I came back the next summer and worked, mm -hmm. but it was just like a, uh, you know, that was luck, you know, and I wouldn't have started the company that I have now had I not met that person. There's zero chance, maybe, maybe a slight chance, but very little chance. Um, otherwise, you know, just, just when I started the company, when we launched the website, the stage of e-commerce, like if I came in right now and there was companies like my own company and some of our competitors companies that kind of own the, the search game for, for Rome, it, it's gotta be really hard to move up the right. time. I was just like, you know, it was just right timing, you know, the right timing to kind of move into things. So okay. I, I think I've been very lucky. There's a lot of things you've been lucky about, you know, uh, you know, now it's, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things that finance growth for companies like mine there's, there's a few of us in rome that are that are a little bit on the larger side mm -hmm. and uh you know it, it had i started later i you just it just be impossible to enter the market or very difficult to enter the market right now just because there's economies of scale makes sense let's also talk about bad luck right um 
uh, and the situation that that is happening right now with COVID and the virus and, and how that's affecting your business. How are you, how are you guys doing? How are, how are you guys dealing, first of all, mentally, you know, with the pressure and the situation uh, as a company and, and you as an individual? Yeah, so, you know, it's been, a, it's been a roller coaster ride. And there actually is, like, I'm sure you've seen it before if you're reading a lot of the, uh, the business books. There's, like, a emotional roller coaster chart you go on. It starts with, like, this huge fall into, like, you know, an oh shit moment of what, what's going on. And then you kind of rise up a little bit to rise the occasion, motivate everyone. Then you fall again down in depression and you go back up on a slow climb back to, uh, to wherever you're going. And, you know, we definitely, March was a really tough, I mean, there are some, some key moments that were really difficult. I mean, for us, it was like February 23rd was like D-Day right. and February 25th and 28th were really tough days. I mean, there was, I think the Friday of that week, I think it was the 28th was when the CDC said, Americans can't travel to Italy anymore and I was like oh crap you know what am I going to do yeah you know we were we are we're a direct consumer business so there are a lot of hurdles there there are a lot of things we had we were preparing to double in size from 2019 to 2020 so in quarter four we hired 21 people that were hired on the specific you know with a specific goal of preparing for the customers that were going to come in 2020 right so in quarter four 2019 we hired 21 people we paid their salaries that we're supposed to help service the customers that did not come in 2020. Jesus. So, yeah, and they were all on staff for, you know, anywhere from one to six months. And all the work they did was just for nothing. Right. You know, and we paid them. And that made it really difficult, you know, the whole situation. So, you know, we, we went from a company that had, you know, uh, between 50 and 60 employees to a company that has less than 10 employees. Right. Uh, well, we actually have more than that, but many people are on furlough right now yeah. in Europe and the United States. But we have less than 10 active employees right now, and we're just trying to, to make it through. And it, it's been really difficult because you kind of trying to balance the customer expectation right now, which a lot of customers are really frustrated with uh, with our company and other companies with, like, you know, the expectation of a company. Like, how does a business go 12 months without any revenue? Right. How is that possible? Like, no companies can go 12 months without any revenue. Companies can't go weeks without revenue, yeah. months without revenue. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But we're talking about a, a full calendar year is the expectation. From March 1st, 2019, to we're going to wait at least until March 1st, 2020, or sorry, March 1st, 2020, until March 1st, 2021, before we are, you know, servicing customers again. Right. So how are so you guys? How are you guys adapting to it? Is, is there anything that you guys are are trying or testing? Because um, as a fellow CEO, yeah. I realize, and it, it's, dude, I, I bet it was fucking rough. Like, uh, yeah. Hard. So is, what what are the potential solutions that you guys are are trying out? Well, we were early to market with virtual tours, which are which are fantastic. They're really cool experiences. The customer really liked them. Um, you know, now it's warm outside, so our 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 sales have gone down for that particular product because mm -hmm. people just, you know, they're going to go outside instead of purchasing a tour on the computer. You know, it just makes it makes more sense. Right. Uh, you know, and I understand that, you know, but like, you know, we, we've created a couple of products there that most likely will do really well during winter months uh, and could be considerable products in the future. And then the cooking classes do, do pretty well as well. It's, it's not enough money to, to keep our company running though. Like we couldn't, if we didn't have, you know, some, a little bit of cash reserves and our government wasn't nice enough to offer, you know, uh, some, some supportive loans, uh, we definitely wouldn't be able to support the staff that runs these products right now. 
But if we have all of our other products running and we're running these products, it'll be a nice addition to what we're doing. Uh, but really what we're trying to do is just kind of uh, pave the road to next, next summer or next year. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we'll go from there. You know, if, if there's a uh, situation where we're not in business next year, it's a much larger situation than just us not in business. It's a, it's a global, a global problem at that right. point. So we're, we're expecting to be in business next year or we expect to have a, uh, you know, a global, global recession of uh, un, unforeseen or, un, you know, has never been seen in the past. Right, right, right. Man, I really appreciate um, you being here and speaking about that. Uh, I definitely wanted to hear your thoughts on how you guys were handling and, and trying to come out of it. Uh, like I said, I, I empathize and I hope you, I wish you guys the best, man. I, I know times are rough, but, but I know you guys will come out of it stronger. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of other cool things too. I mean, we, we, we took the time to really study what we do, what products are proper, what products aren't. And we're kind of like, honing down on the most profitable products so 2021 so there's no fat whatsoever and we come right. out we can go through 2021 deliver the best product possible that our customers want the most without as much experimentation as much growth so we're definitely going to go into 2021 without trying to grow as much as we were trying to grow in the past and just hone in on the the, the, the leanest products that customers are the happiest with and try to deliver the best service possible so we can kind of rebound from where we are now with customers and have a great season with customers and have a great season with revenue and profits so we can start paying down some of our debt. So we're just really excited to get through. I mean, and I hate to say this because I love living in the moment and living the day we're in right now. But con- considering there's literally almost nothing we can do to generate revenue right now, it's, it's, it's like airlines. Like, what are you going to do? You know, right. show movies of people sitting on planes? Like, no one wants <laughs> to do that. Um, so we're really just like excited to get to next year and just have a, you know, a really nice lean year, deliver an amazing product, you know, um, rebuild our face with our customers and kind of move forward with that. And it just, you know, we're, that's what we're, we're most focused on right now. And it's really about reexamining our strategy, rebuilding it and spending this time, you know, uh, just, just kind of working on our company, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, Sean, I, I know you have to get out of here. Uh, thank you so much for being here, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where can our listeners reach out to you? I know you're on LinkedIn. Also, the, can you give us your website as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, people, if, if you're looking for tours and experiences, you can go to the romanguy.com or the tourguy.com. Both, both websites are sister websites, and all of our products are there. Uh, people can find me on LinkedIn, uh, you know, look for a connection or something like this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mostly, anyone that's not selling me something, I pretty much approve the, the connection. And, uh, and that's that. I, I don't, I don't use too much social media anymore just because I got kids. I don't do the, uh, the Instagram thing. I have an account. You're welcome to follow me, but I might post like once every two years or so. So yeah, maybe LinkedIn's better. I, I think kids go over Instagram. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the, the writer of the priorities is that. But exactly, thanks, man. Exactly. If you're listening, uh, thank you so much for being here for another episode. We'll see you next time.